All right. Well, we are here again. Okay. Uh, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 5? We're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 5 and preaching out of there. We're not going to preach out of the whole text, but I want to get there and um, hopefully encourage you. Um, what a good time to be together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we are here, that we can hear your word. We pray that your word would pierce us, would encourage us. I pray, Father, that my brothers and sisters would uh, hear your voice. I pray that they would be encouraged what Christ has done on the cross. I pray that we would uh, be revitalized in our walks. Lord, that you would use us even in these coming weeks. Lord, uh, we know that uh, the inaugural service is coming. We've invited many folks, even people who live here. And we pray that, God, you would move on their hearts and change their hearts. We pray that the word of God would have success in their hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember I have a brother uh, back home who shall remain nameless, and I'm not going to tell you his name. But as we talk, um, I always ask him, how are you doing? How are you doing? And he, he always looks at me and he goes, well, you know, I'm all right. You know, I'm just, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a sinner. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And it seems like every time I talk to him, he's always stuck there. And, uh, and sometimes just paralyzes him to serve God. And sometimes I think that we are like that. You are like that. That we, are, we don't have, we understand what justification by faith is. We understand that we are forgiven by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But we haven't allowed that truth to grip our hearts, to change the way we live, to change the way we see life. You notice in um, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Paul is talking about that. He's talking to a people. Uh, he's talking to the Jews because they thought that they could earn salvation. And he says, no, you can't. And he gives his case in Romans chapter 1. You've fallen into sin. Romans chapter 2. Uh, he talks about the Gentile guilt. Romans chapter 2. The Jewish guilt. And then he talks about how you are saved in Romans chapter 3 by grace through faith alone. And then he closes it off in chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Brothers and sisters, we know what this phrase means, justified by faith. God is, has this term, justification. We understand it to be that when God looks upon us, if we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He looks upon us and he sees the righteousness of Christ upon us. And then he looks at our righteousness that has been uh, imputed by the Lord Jesus Christ and he calls us not guilty. In fact, he calls us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We understand that. That's a doctrine of the Reformation that we are to hold. You can teach it. You teach it to your kids all the time. You believe it. And I hope you do with all your heart. But I think what happens is sometimes you forget that there are effects of justification by faith. The way you live your life now, it's kind of like you have this doctrine where you say, justification by faith, yes, you are saved by grace through faith. But yeah, that doesn't affect the way I work now. Or doesn't affect the way I live with my family now. Or it doesn't affect the way when I go to the groceries. Or when I have troubles now. When I have a sick person in my life now. See, what Paul is saying is this doctrine is absolutely practical. It's not just some abstract idea that you leave on the shelf. In fact, if you receive this doctrine, this is the gospel, right? If you allow the doctrine and its truth to ground you in life, it says you live a radically different life. God gave this passage to you this morning so that your life would be radically different because you're forgiven in Christ. Your life should be changed. It should have this different color. It should have these different traits in your life that now, because I'm forgiven, I'm a different person. Because I'm forgiven, I live differently. He doesn't want you to feel like you're not forgiven. He doesn't want you to ever doubt this. In fact, this is the power that a Christian has by the power of Jesus Christ. This is the confidence that you have. Notice, forgiveness colors all that you do now. Grace covers all that you do now. And I wanted to talk about this because we are celebrating our first communion table. This is what Christ has done on your behalf. A person who is daily conscious that he or she is forgiven in Christ will have three very peculiar convictions. See, what happens is you know the doctrine. Maybe you could teach the doctrine. Maybe you could write nice, a nice little diagram of here's man and he is divided by God because of his sin, and here's God, and the only bridge to God is Jesus Christ. You can teach that, but brothers and sisters, it has to bear fruit in your life. And God says, the man, the woman, the young person who knows what it means to be forgiven in Christ will live radically by three different ways and three different convictions. These convictions are born from the fruit of forgiveness. They shape your life. It is not a dull Christianity. It is not a dry Christianity. It is not an old Christianity. It has shaped and changed your life. Now this first conviction, this first conviction is you rest in your new relationship. You rest in your new Relationship. Do you notice he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, here's the phrase, 
If you guys want to see what this outline is going to be about, there's three phrases. Verse 1 and verse 1, we have peace with God. Second phrase, verse 2, the second part, we exult in hope of the glory of God. Third phrase, verse 3, we also exult in our tribulations. These are where the three convictions come from. Okay, But the first one is you rest in your new relationship. A person who is conscious, who is thinking about the gospel, who is gospel-centered, Christ-centered, knows they can rest in their new relationship. Therefore, having been justified by faith, the Bible says we have peace with God. Isn't that amazing? You have peace with God. The word for peace means harmony, tranquility, it's a cessation of conflict, of war. You're no longer fighting. You're no longer fighting. Fighting against whom? Notice it says we have peace with God. Well, what, that, what must that assume? That before you know, knew the Lord Jesus Christ, you were at war. At war with God. See, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, you have to think about this. If you've been forgiven, you have a new relationship. You have a new relationship. You know, a lot of people don't know that they're at war with God. So, sometimes I talk to my kids. I said, did you know we were at war with Assyria and ISIS and ISIL? They go, no, I didn't even know we were at war. What? Can we go in and out? They don't even know, right? And uh, brothers and sisters, the world does not know they are at war with Jesus. God tells us that mankind is at war with him. And before Christ, you were at war with him. That's why Paul says, therefore, now you have peace. But before you weren't like that. Well, what were you like? Romans chapter 1. Go to Romans chapter 1. And this is what war with God looks like. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. First, what does, what does war with God look like? Number one, it looks like this. There is truth about God and it's being suppressed change distorted they know it's true they know there's a god who exists but they change the truth notice since the creation of this world as invisible attributes we see his eternal power and his divine nature they exchange look verse 22 professing to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible god for an image in the form of corruptible men and a burden of four-footed animals and crawling creatures Instead of the eternal God who they worship, they trade it for themselves. They either say, I am the ultimate arbiter of what is true. Well, if it's true for you, it's not true for me, and it's not true for you. I'm the ultimate arbiter of what's true. Oh, I get it. You're the judge of all things. Because now you're worshiping yourself. 
That's what war looks like. Look at this. This is also what war looks like. They give themselves over to lust, to their hearts, to impurity. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the great creator who is blessed forever. Look, follow with me. Verse 26. God gave them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. So they go against the, uh, the order, the ordered roles of what God has outlined. But now, look at you could say, hey, man, that's not me. That was never me, right? That's probably what in your own heart you'll say. That was never me. I never did this. Okay, let's see if this fits you, verse 28. Just as they, see, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Notice, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed. Have you ever been greedy? Have you ever only thought of yourself? Have you ever just finished all the milk and you knew someone else wanted it? <laughs> evil, full of envy. Have you ever been jealous of what other people have? Jealous of their relationships, jealous of uh, their possessions, jealous of their house, jealous of their car. Have you ever been jealous? I have. I think that's, I think that's me. Murder in your heart. Okay, what if you didn't do that? Strife, deceit, malice. Oh, look at this. They are gossips. Did you know, brothers and sisters, your gossiping tongue displays that you are at war with God unless you've come to Christ. In fact, this is not even a, this is not even an issue now. If you even look at uh, look at TV, they say this is the next gossip reel, and they just blare it on about all the Hollywood stars. They don't even care. But it shows a culture that is at war with God. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Now, listen to this, okay? Are you listening? Young people. Disobedient. What does it say? Disobedient to parents. But but that's not that's not such a bad thing, yeah, it is. Because God has created parents to be over you. And if you refute, if you go around, try and go around their backs, try and go around the back of mom while dad's not there, or go around the back of dad while mom's not there, you're being disobedient. And God is saying that it is the fruit of someone who is at war with God. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Consequently, brothers and sisters, even as parents, you've got to see your children in this light. That them disobeying you is not a small thing. It's actually high-handed rebellion against God himself. And it's in their little hearts. My cute little child, yes, in your cute little child. Your cute little son and daughter. Yes, you have to face the facts. When the disobedience comes out, it is showing the fruit of someone who is at war with God. 
face it without understanding, untrustworthy. They know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They do the same, but give hearty approval. So let's go back to Romans chapter 5, because this is sounding pretty ugly, isn't it? I hope you feel that this is ugly, that we are in a, we are in a spot where there is no hope. Therefore, having been justified by faith, now, Paul says, okay, if you've placed your faith in Christ, God looks upon you as having the righteousness of Christ, and now you're justified in his sight. He says you're no longer at war with me. He says you have peace. Brothers and sisters, I love to tell you this. You know this, but you need to be reminded God is never mad at you. Do you understand? He's not mad at you. Notice he says here, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, he says here, who did this? It says Christ. He, he introduced us. He started it all by faith, which is the instrument into this grace in which we stand. This is what I love. Okay, So what God is saying about you, if you know Jesus Christ and you own him, he says, you have peace with God. That means you are no longer at war. There is no enmity. When he looks upon you, he doesn't say, yeah, but they, you know, they still didn't do that. They didn't do that. He looks upon you with the righteousness of Christ and says, this is my child. And what he says is, who did this? He says, into this grace in which we stand, we exult in the hope of God. Christ accomplished it by his blood on the cross. And he introduced us by faith, which is the tool. Now, I love this. Into this grace in which we stand. And this speaks of the permanence. Permanence. This is a fact to be believed. This is an objective fact about you. That God is no longer angry at you. This gives you courage. MacArthur said it this way Standing in grace, we are in the sphere of constant forgiveness. You're forgiven, brothers and sisters. Don't beat yourself up. Don't try and punish yourself more than what Christ had already had. You're saying, when you say, well, I can't do that, I, you know, because I, I didn't have my quiet time, or I, or, you know, maybe I need to just kind of hit myself in the back with a whip. If you're like that, and you're thinking that way, God is telling you, no, if you really have been justified by faith, God himself does not look at you with enmity, hostility, anger. You're forgiven. That's where you rest. That's where you live. That's where you move. Colossians 1.21 says this, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now... He has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him 
holy and blameless beyond reproach. In other words, this is how you were and this is how you are now. You have a new relationship. You are at peace with God. This peace is otherworldly. So we had a relative who, um, I remember I had a, someone call me and we had a relative get so upset. Um, you guys know Mel. I can talk to you guys like this. You guys know Mel. She called me last week and she said, can you we please talk? I said, sure. And we were talking on the phone and she said, you know, I was just praying with one of our, we have a Jehovah Witness niece, right? Um, we've been sharing the gospel with her father. He's been leading the community Bible church. He came to our send-off. Uh, you could pray for him. But as we were there in the hospital, he was admitted into the hospital. Melissa prayed with her. And one of my other relatives got so upset with her. So mad. Just saying, you can't do that. You can't try and change her beliefs. Who do you think you are? And Mel was just like, well, you know, I'm just trying to pray and share the gospel. You can't do that. Well, he goes, how do you know that you're right? He goes, well, the Bible says, let me show it to you. And then that relative says, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to read your Bible. I don't have to hear from you. I don't have to listen. And as that came out, as that came out, we realized. Mel was, I said, Mel, it's not you. Ultimately, it's not you, Mel. That person is at war with God. And if you prick them, the spew will come out. Do you understand? Ever try sharing the gospel with your family members? And when it comes to the exclusivity of Christ, that they bring nothing to the table, then the anger and the hostility comes out. Why? Because they really think they're okay on their own. But if you know Christ, what has happened, you know you're not okay on your own. You know you messed up and sinned and made a mess of things. But God is telling you today, 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 justification was in the past. Amen? Amen? But today, look, we have present tense peace. biggest problem is solved. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. Christ himself. He's the bringer of peace. He's the mediator of peace. He is our peace. Amen. And this is why we could have right relationships with one another. Because we're not fighting God anymore. If you're a Christian this morning, let me ask this question. Maybe you're not here, but if you're a Christian this morning, why is it that you may not be experiencing God's peace? If you claim the name of Christ, okay? Paul says here, if you've been justified by faith, if you're a Christian, if we have peace. Why are you not experiencing that? There's two reasons. 
You're not consciously aware of the totality of your forgiveness in Christ. Or number two, you're not a Christian. Are you right with God? Do you have peace with God? The world will not find it. Now, the Christian who knows they are at war with God until Christ intervened. They hated God until Christ stepped in and paid with his blood. And now you are whole. You are full. You are at peace with God. And now you are at peace with man. So if you are a gospel-centered, consciously forgiven believer of Christ, you not only rest in your new relationship, but you pursue your new joy. Secondly, you pursue your new joy. Look at verse 2b. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's the new relationship. And then he says... And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And Paul says, we, inclusive, this is what we do. Those who know they are forgiven. This is why it's absolutely crucial for you to understand whether or not you're forgiven. This is why it's absolutely crucial for churches to draw the line in the sand. To tell folks, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means... If you are not a Christian, not to have any ambiguity, those who are saved know they are saved by what? By faith in Christ alone. It has to be clear. Why? Because it affects all of life afterwards. You will always be cowering. Uh, sometimes I, I, I would, when I talk to one of our Roman Catholic friends, and I ask, where are you going when you die? They say, well, I hope to make it to heaven. I think I've done enough. And I said, I'm sorry. If you think you've done enough, you've not done quite enough. You're not perfect enough. There's always this cowering. There's always this fear. Why? Because they're not sure about their relationship. And secondly, they're not pursuing this new joy. This is what marks the Christian. He says, we, the family of God, those who have placed their faith in Christ, they pursue this new joy. Okay? And notice he says, he uses this term, exult. We exult in hope. We exult in hope. This word means to boast, to glory in. In classical Greek, it means to speak loud. To be loud-tongued. He says, I am loud about these things. There are certain things that grip me that I'm going to boast about, that I'm going to talk about, that I want to make sure is placarded in my life. He says, they boast, what? In the hope of the glory of God. Now, hope is different in the original text than what hope is in English. Hope in English means, you know, I hope you could make it I hope you could make it, like, like I was talking, we were reaching out to some neighbors, and she said, well, I would like to go to your inaugural. And I said, I hope you would make it, you know? I wish she does come, and I wish that they come, this couple that we met last night, I wish they do come. I got her email, she said, yeah, here's my email. I want to come. I said, okay, I hope you would make it. But in the back of my mind... God can do some amazing things, but in the back of my mind, I also know that there's a possibility that she's not going to come, right? Is that a possibility? Absolutely. This is what 
This is kind of our, we wish, really, when we say hope, it's kind of like you wish. You wish this takes place, right? We wish that God would, we hope that it would happen, right? But in the original language, the word there, hope, is that there is an expected end and it will happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And what the Bible is saying is, we hope in the glory of God. If you have been forgiven, you have a new relationship, but you also know that there will be a time in the future where God's glory will be on full display to the world and where Christ will be placarded on full display and that he will receive all the glory and all the praise. And that's where your heart is going towards. That's where your joy is. And that's why you give up things for. And that's why you give up jobs for. And that's why you give up houses for. And that's why you leave family for. Why? Because you love the glory of God. You exalt in it. You boast in it. And that's all you want to do. Is this your desire, Christian? Have you been clouded with things? Now, I love that we are together because I know you guys. And this is your heartbeat. Your heartbeat is to make the glory of God known. Don't lose this, okay? Remember these days, these small days, when it was just us, and there was only one tray, okay? <laughs> Remember this. Do you understand? When only half a quarter of the grape juice could do our whole communion, okay? Remember this, okay? When God blesses, and I believe he will bless, when he does this, okay? Don't ever let anything else grip your desires but the glory of God. Is remember, do you remember it was like Moses? Lord, show me what? Your what? Show me your glory. See, what happens in a Christian is now he knows he has a right relationship, he knows he's forgiven, and he wants more of God. Do you want more of God? And you know your whole life, after you've been saved, all you want is more of God. And you want people to know more of God. And this is your new joy. And you give up anything for it. Amen? We boast in this. We boast in the magnificence of Christ. We boast in what he has done in our lives. We're not ashamed of it. He's forgiven us. When um, uh, when I, we were in South Asia, and I would have to be, I would have to leave the country every six months. I was forced to because of my visa. And so one of the trips, um, it was at the same time as my wife's birthday. And there is a country off of the coast of India that's only 300 kilometers away. And the country is called the Maldives. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, okay? Um, we had one shot to go. And the Brown said, well, watch your kids go to the Maldives for two days and then come back, right? So I paid for Jeanette's ticket, right? And we went to the Maldives. And if you've never seen the Maldives, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful island nation. The water... I know I'm going to say blasphemy, but the water is clearer than Hawaii's. Okay. Clearer, right? It's like glass. And something happened to me. I was down in the, in the water, 
and I just saw schools of fish and different colors, and I just kept going deep, 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 with, you know, with no scuba tank. I just wanted to go as deep as I can and just keep going, right? Because, and then Jeanette would walk on the beach, and then all these fish would surround her as we were walking in just crystal clear water, white sand, right? And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is so beautiful. Something affected me. I saw beauty, I saw beauty, and that's what I like to do now. I like to go underwater and just be there, right? Because I saw beauty. And this is what happens to the Christian. Brothers and sisters, have you not seen beauty? Isn't he beautiful? is in his glory and the glory is all that God is in Christ, right? All that God is because we know God through Christ. Isn't he beautiful? Hasn't he changed you? Such that you would do anything, right? You would do anything to get more of a glimpse, to see more of him, to see more of him in the lives of the people you work with. To see more of him in the lives of your children, of your spouse, of your loved ones, of your friends. Have you seen beauty? Is this all you want in life? This is Paul says, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult that God would be fully known. We desire this. This is what we want. Spurgeon said this, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. So if you are a gospel-centered, Christ-focused believer who understands justification by faith, who understands forgiveness, not only will you rest in your new relationship, but also you will pursue your new joy, and lastly, you will endure with new perspective. This is where justification by faith changes the way you live in trial. In trial. Notice he says here, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about per perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Notice here, now, he uses the same verb, okay? Not only this, we exult in our tribulation. So he exults in the glory of God. He goes here. We exult in hope of the glory of God. And now he switches and he says, but even when I go through hard times, I exult. I boast. Now, what in the world does that mean? Surely it means, part of it is that he boasts in his weakness. He says, tribulations imply that there is a hard time and that you are a frail human and that you must receive that, right? There's no more facade of man's strength. You can't do it on your own. But here, what it's saying is, uh, it says here, not only this, we exult in our tribulations. We are not going to be stuck in it. 
because of justification by faith, because of forgiveness in Christ, I have a new perspective in the way I see the trials and the difficulties and the stresses of my life. And he uses this term, tribulations. The word for tribulations is a term that's even used for olives and grapes. Do you remember in Napa, you would always cross by. I'm sure Manny and Rena, whenever you're on the 29, you would see that wine crusher, right? And the old way they used to do that, they used to go in there and they used to step on it with their feet. What the Bible is saying is, the word there for tribulations is, that's when you're pressed. That's when you're pushed. That's when you're stressed out. God says, what? That in that time, not when just things are good, in that time, that's when you boast, and that's when you exult, and that's when you give glory to God. See, this is why the world looks at you and says, what a strange very, very strange person. The Bible says also, notice, he, uh, he takes you to through this school, okay? This school. Not only this, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And so what happens is that as you go through these tribulations, you see them now with the eyes of faith. You see them now, not just, oh, I just can't believe this. I can't believe this. I, I remember we were with uh, Andre. I can't get this dumb trailer off. We couldn't get it. It was frustrating, right? And it's a small thing. Or sometimes you may drive and you got, oh, I got a flat tire. Or, oh, no, now what am I going to do? Now you could see these things in the way that God wants you to see them. Tribulation, he says, hard times brings about perseverance. They give rise to perseverance. And the word there for perseverance means steadfast endurance, patience, fortitude, steadfastness, a capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. And what he's saying is here is God has so designed hard times and stresses in your life. Why? So that you would be a seasoned veteran. Do you understand? So that you would be strong and you would endure more. So that you would not stay in your infant faith. The stress is good. This is not American society. We want as less stress as possible, right? We want no problems. God says it is through these tribulations, and you have to see it, brothers and sisters, when you go through this. Why do you have a difficult relationship? Why do you have a difficult relationship with some of your relatives? Why do you have a difficult relationship with some of your young people? Moms, dads. Why do you have that? Why is it hard at work? God says what? We exult in our tribulations knowing what? Tribulation brings about perseverance. It is, brothers and sisters, to make you a more seasoned, more ready soldier for the Lord, Jesus Christ. Perseverance brings about proven character. 
Proven character, the word there means the quality of being approved. It's better, it's better to be translated like this. It, you are tested and approved. Tested and approved. It's kind of like when you have precious metals as you are melting it, and they test the quality. You have what? 10K gold, 24K gold, right? They want to test the purity and the, uh, the purity of the metal. And what God says is, you think it's just a pain in the neck, okay? You think all of these problems that you have should just be removed. And God is saying, no, I've given it to you. I've given it to you, Christian, so that you would grow. I've given it to you so that you would mature. I've given it to you so that you could say, proven character, right? So that you could say, God helped me through that. God gave me strength through that. God gave me insight through that. And you will come out differently. You will come out tested and approved. It's the same word that in Romans 12 he says later on. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. If you remember, he says that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words that you may test and approve. And God is doing that with you. That's why we read in even Romans chapter 8, he says what? Uh, God causes what? All things to work together for the good of those who love them. And then he has its point in what? So that they would all grow in conformity to his son. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. There is greater purpose in your suffering, brothers and sisters. Don't waste it, okay? When you go through a difficult time, don't waste it. There is greater purpose. Now, how do you view suffering? How do you view trials? It ought to be rightly affected again from your view of justification by faith. Remember, see how it's all threaded. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. You exult in hope of the glory of God. And now you exult in your trans tribulations. So how do you view suffering? Do you see it as a pain, simply to be avoided and minimized? Or do you see it as God dealing with you? Notice he continues. He says here, the surety of hope. So that's the school of hope, but the surety of hope. Notice he says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And you've got to sit and rest here. Now here's, here is the key, brothers and sisters. Notice, he says, the love of God, that's the agape love of God, has been poured out. The word there means to shed, to spill, to pour out like water. It's kind of like if you've been, um, if you've ever gone hiking for a long hike and you've saved your water. Have you ever done that? You want to reserve your water because you don't know when the next stream is there. Okay? But when you see the next stream and it's good water to take and you have your filter and everything, you, this water can be filled with that water there. So what do you do? You just kind of, and you just let it spill and gush out, right? What the Bible is saying, brothers and sisters, is that God himself has already done this with his love. In your hearts, he uses the term cardia, right? 
That term means the very seat of who you are, the deepest, intimate parts of who you are. He says that he has gushed forth, okay? Poured forth God's love to you, such that it is overwhel overwhelming. It's like when you drink and you don't drink fast enough, it just kind of pours all out. He's saying that's how God's love is on you within your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, how does this make sense? Listen. Okay. Notice in the section, verses 3 to 5, this is what we're talking about. We not only exult in this, but we exult in our tribulations. And then you've got to skip down because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts of the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Brothers and sisters, notice what's happening here. In the first section, he says, but you have peace with God as an objective fact outside of yourself. Correct? If you believe in God, if you believe in Christ, by faith you are justified. That is a fact to be believed, whether you feel it or not. Correct? Whether you feel it or not, that is true. Understand? You have peace with God the Father. This is far different, brothers and sisters. This is subjective. This is where it says, if you have indeed trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have peace with God the Father, this is what he says. He says here, the love of God has been poured out within where? In your heart. The deepest part of you. By what? By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, he assures the believer, especially in hard times, that you are loved of God. In other words, here's the truth. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through a hard time. And then you ask them. You ask your brother and sister, how are you? How are you doing? I remember, I remember when Mel first, uh, uh, I, I keep using Mel because she's a wonderful story of what happened when God gets a hold of someone. But when Mel and uh, when Caitlin first got sick and she first came down with meningitis, and that whole thing was just terrible, 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 terrible. Uh, if you've ever been to the hospital, it's just a wheat fest. You just go there to cry. And then after that first portion happened, and I said, well, what did God teach you to do that? She said, I, Angelo, I was just kind of not really serious about my walk. Until this happened, and I realized that God was dealing with me. And that he loves me. And he's dealing with me. Brothers and sisters, here is what the Bible is saying. You ready? You following me? Okay. The Christian who is knows they're forgiven, knows that trial is not punishment. You see? Trial and tribulation is not punishment for the Christian. Trial and tribulation for the one who is forgiven is simply a desire, is simply to prove you, to cause you to grow in Christ, but it is also for you to have a taste of the hope that's in the future. And to sustain you through it, brothers and sisters, here's what's amazing. He tells you he loves you by putting his spirit in your heart. So when someone says, 
How could you still praise God? The Christian who knows this truth, who has experienced the Holy Spirit says, because he loves me. God loves me. How do you know? Christ died on the cross and the Holy Spirit tells me inside. God loves you, brothers and sisters. This is something that needs to be boasted and shouted. He loves you. He never wants you to ever feel like you're not loved. And how did he do it? He ensured it by sending your, the Spirit into your heart. Brothers and sisters, why do we walk around? And why do we walk and feel like we are shaken when God has done all this on our behalf? Does not this give you confidence? Jesus said in John 16, the disciples were fearful that Jesus was leaving. He said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Christ said, Don't worry about it. I conquered. I've taken care of the, uh, your most important problem. We remember this from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in these things, he says, brothers and sisters, this is you. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Verse 38. This should be your battle cry. This should be your courage. Let me just read it to you and you can just listen. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God because of what you've purchased. You can say this, I know there is a reason to my suffering. I know he is making me more into the image of his son. I don't understand why it has to be this way, but I know he loves me. I know he loves me. Christian, are you sure? Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't, don't go to sleep today without knowing this and being affirmed. He loves me. And it's been proven by the death of his son. And his Holy Spirit is telling me inside. Because he gave his son. And because he gave his spirit. Paul's encouragement. Is to be inclusive of those who have faith in Christ. He says we have peace with God. We exult in hope of the glory of God. We exult in our tribulations. A Christian who knows this, who has this in the forefront of their life, forgiveness, justification by faith, resonates with Paul. And when you hear that, we have peace with God. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in our tribulations. 
You say in your heart, this is what you say, that's right, we do. That's right, we do. This response is assumed, right? He's, all, he's saying what you already experienced. Now, here's the question, and as we end, because we have to end a little bit early, right? to take the table. Do you experience this radically different life? Please listen if you're not experiencing. There's only two reasons. Okay? If you're a Christian and you're not experiencing this, okay, go back to the cross. Remind yourself of the cross. That his sin is that his righteousness and his sacrifice is bigger than your sin. You gotta do that every day. You've got to do that every day. If you're not a Christian and you don't trust in Christ, go back to the cross and trust that He, trust in Christ for your forgiveness and He will wash your sins away. And you could walk radically knowing you have a new relationship, you have a new joy, and you have a new perspective on life. Amen? Maybe celebrate this communion. Let's pray. And we'll have, uh, I think, the band up and the men to serve. Father, we are just so grateful what you've done. Thrown aback. That you would even care what our frame of mind is, that we would not be stressed out but that we would trust in our relationship with you. God, we just pray that uh, that uh, what you've purchased would be lived out in our lives. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.